This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. All right. Hey, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Um, I'm back in Florida. I've been away traveling. That's why uh, the podcast have kind of been, I think I missed one episode. We just opened a treatment center in California uh, in Laguna Hills. If anyone's struggling, you can go to unitedrecoveryproject.com. We have a 24-hour hotline. Um, you can always check us out on Instagram, united underscore recovery. If you guys are listening to the podcast, please like and subscribe and tell your friends about it. We are active on Instagram at Hell Has an Exit. We're on YouTube. We're on video, audio, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us. This podcast is brought to you by DB Podcast. These guys are the professional museum quality podcasters. Shout out to Miles Davis and Jordan Winter. On this show, we interview recovering addicts, people who have lived through hell and have come out the other side. And today we have Ryan C., I've known Ryan basically since he's been clean. I saw him the other day, and I was like, yo, you got to hop on the podcast. So welcome, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Where are you from? Northern California. Wine country, right below the Emerald Triangle, which is where all the marijuana is grown, which played a big part. That's what it's called, is Emerald Triangle? Yeah, it's like Humboldt County, Mendocino County, and I forget what the third county is, Mm -hmm. but which ended up playing a huge part in... What was growing up like in Northern California... Elementary school was very rough for me. I had undiagnosed ADHD, which made me a very annoying kid. I am short, but I was even shorter back then. Fat, (laughs) you know, glasses, you know, so especially in like the early 90s, you know, four eyes, tubby, you know, tub of lard, all that stuff. You know, that's what I got made fun of um, a lot for up to the point to where, you know, I remember the first time of thinking about suicide, I was nine. I remember that exact moment like it was yesterday. Like I was in the bathroom, boys bathroom by myself, Mm -hmm. you know, on the ground crying my eyes out thinking like I would rather just die than deal with. Because people were bullying you so bad. Yeah. In sixth grade, I got tested for ADHD and, you know, I was off the charts and, you know, they decided to put me on Adderall and switch school districts. You know, that summer because of the Adderall, I lost a lot of weight. 
then, you know, I started a whole new thing with a whole new group of people. It was still the same, but just a little bit different. It wasn't as bad. Eighth grade, you know, was the, you know, I put a shotgun in my mouth. So you had your own shotgun? I had my own shotgun underneath my bed. And you put it in your mouth, try to kill yourself. That's where I was at. So you had a shotgun under your bed and try to kill yourself with it? I was on the verge of it, you know. You're I, thinking about it. I heard my mom walk in to the house. That's where I was at, you know. And then, like, <clears throat> high school came around. I reinvented myself again. Like, I was always that kid that, like, I had groups of friends in every group. But, like, up until, like, the first time I ever used was, like, I was, like, the good kid. Like, I didn't drink. Like, I was, compared to my friends, I was a late bloomer. That just wasn't me. It was Christmas break, sophomore year. Something happened with a female. My dad is an alcoholic. I went to his cabinet, and I found a fifth of alcohol, and I poured it into a Gatorade bottle, went down to the elementary school park down the street from my house, drank it, blacked out. It was the first time I ever drank. By yourself? By myself. And I loved it because mm -hmm. I wasn't me anymore. I had no care in the world. I didn't have to feel anything. Summer going into junior year was like the first time I ever used drugs. So like, you know, everyone was popping ecstasy. You know, thizzles is what we call them, you know. You guys call them thizzles? Thizzles. Thizzing out, right? And like, <laughs> I still remember the first pill I ever popped. It was, it was a blue unicorn. That was it, man. That feeling, all those endorphins, all that serotonin. I loved that shit. Mm -hmm. I started selling them. And like my nickname in high school was Thizzle because like I always had them. I always sold them. I was doing ecstasy before I was, I was smoking weed. Wow. Then the weed came and then junior year got real big into cocaine. The whole crack thing was, was something completely different. But yeah, so, you know, high school, you know, I did so many pills, like popped so many, so many ecstasy pills that my body, you know, I probably would say like in that year, I probably popped away at well over 500. Wow. Like I was doing them at summer school. I was doing them every weekend. Mm -hmm. I was, you know what I'm saying? And like, it just mattered how I felt that day. Like, do I want to do two and just be rolling balls or three of them? And I'm sitting on the couch for the rest of the night. Like I can't even move. Mm -hmm. But like to the point where like my body started to like reject them. Like I'd pop them and I'd throw them up. Wow. Like, I couldn't even do it no more. The only way I could do it was, like, crush them up, put them in a drink, and drink it. And then, you know I mean? I phased out of that. Like, senior year, like, I was just drinking and smoking weed. I, I stopped doing all the other drugs. But drinking was still a big part of my problem, you know, and it always led to almost everything else, like Oxycontin. My senior year, I was 18 my whole senior year. I got, like, four minor possessions of, of like, alcohol. I went to court. The judge was like, yo, go do, you know, 30 days recovery program, you know, 12-step mm -hmm. based. So, you know, I did that, whatever. After senior year, instead of going to summer school, I moved down to Huntington Beach because I had to get away from the drinking. I had to get away from the smoking. So I thought, you know, a different location will change me up completely, which it didn't do because I brought myself with me. And the guy that we moved into was from Grass Valley who sold weed. So like, mm -hmm. and then like the guy, one of the guys I moved in with just turned 21. Didn't last long at all. I was five months in and I wanted to move back up north. My mom was like, that's fine. Go do 60 days in a SLE, a sober living, you know, a, a halfway, which is, you know, they call them SLEs out mm -hmm. there. And, you know, that's when I really got into, you know, I had 60 days. I was going to meetings. Uh, I got a sponsor. Wow. I didn't do any step work, but like I was just figuring the shot. You know, I was I was 18. I was mm -hmm. 19 years old. But like that's that's what really introduced me. You know, and it, it planted a seed for me to know that I wasn't ready, but like I knew that there was something there. I graduate. You know, I'm a super senior. Graduated at uh, almost 20 years old. But you know, I graduated high school, which is cool. Fast forward a couple of years, I'm still doing the bullshit, and like I'm hanging out with my boys Joey and Gino at the time. Gino's full blown into oxycotton. So, like, you know, he'd be freebasing it off the foil, chasing the dragon. Oh, man, that like, why are you doing that? Da, 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 da. I would never do that. All, the, all, all those type of things. Mm -hmm. like, that's disgusting. You're a fucking dope fiend. 
my boy Mikey and Joe were like, yo, let me use your car. We want to go pick up an 80. I was like, you're not using my car unless I go with you. I, I can't say peer pressured me. They were like, yo, do you, do you just want to try this? And I was like, fuck it, dude. And I took my first hit of OxyContin. You, hit, I fell you smoked it or you snorted it? I smoked it. Oh, wow. Uh, and you liked it? Oh, yeah. You felt it? Oh, yeah. I used to smoke them every once in a while because a lot of people were smoking. I was like, dude, I don't feel it. I don't like really? see the point of this. But I just like snorting them. In the beginning, it was great. There could be, yeah. dude, 80s were 40 bucks a, sh a pop. There could be four of us. We throw down $10, get 180 and be blitzed. Yeah. Like not, not so bad. It looks like you're tying your shoe. Like they were, they were amazing. And then I found out the other ones, the 40s, the 60s. And like that's how I got introduced into opiates. Mm -hmm. Once that Oxycontin hit me, that was completely different. And then, you know, I tried to do the whole move thing again. Cause like I knew that like I was going down this path and like I wasn't at the point to where like I was only smoking them a few times a week and I wasn't physically addicted to them yet. So I decided to move to Sacramento. Didn't change anything. I was only two hours away from home every week and I'd drive the fuck back home. <laughs> go pick up some, sell them, make, make enough for the week and go back home. I even tried to move to Utah one time. I lasted three days. It wasn't bad though. Like I could lightweight hold a job until the Oxycon went away. But yeah, you know, that's the first time I ever used a needle because all we could get was Dilaudid. You can't smoke a Dilaudid. Uh, that was the first time I ever used a needle. How old were you? 23, I think. 22, okay. 23. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't touch heroin still. You know, heroin was around, but, you know, the blues were there. You know, I could still lightweight get high off them. You know, heroin did, you know, ended up coming. First was meth. The first time I ever did meth was I was fucking with this girl, Faith, and she was like, hey, you want to do some meth and fuck all night? And I was like, I'm in it to win it. Mm -hmm. Like, fuck it, let's go. And that was the first time I ever did meth. And then that started, <laughs> you know, that was from two, I was smoking meth. I shot it once. Shooting meth is insane. You instantly come. Is that real? It's soft dick and all. Really? I swear to God. Yeah, I've heard, of, I've heard people doing that with shooting of even coke. It's the first time I ever did it. Only time I ever did it. That's funny. But yeah, you know, that started my meth habit. Um, and then, you know, heroin ended up coming up after that because just 30s weren't doing anything for me mm -hmm. no more. Would you say your drug of choice was meth or heroin? Heroin. Heroin. The worst was fentanyl. 2014 was, well, we were doing the patches and shit, you know, um, smoking the patches. You would smoke the patches? Yeah. How we'd, would you smoke the patches? We'd shoot them too. Wow. Smoking the patches was, you'd have to get the gel ones, not the patch, not the actual yeah. patch patch, but like the actual gel. And you'd put the glob on the piece of foil and then you'd get a water bottle. Uh huh. And you'd cut this part off so it's a funnel. How old are you when you start doing meth and heroin? I'd probably say those were both the same year. So 2012, 24. Pretty young. Mm -hmm. Did you like want to get clean? Did you like think about the 12 step program in that time? During my whole entire, so I got clean at 28, but like mm -hmm. from 22, when I like really started doing Oxy, I'd go to meetings every now and then. I didn't want to get clean, but I wanted to want to get clean, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I was okay with how I was living. You know, like going to jail a few times, you know, I got six cases on me. Um, you know, three of them are felonies. I was okay going in and out of rehabs. You know, I did six rehabs before I came down to Florida, you know. What was like treatment like for you? Like what was your treatment experience? Like, did, you, did you get anything out of it? Do you feel like the treatment center like served its purpose? Like In California, no, because I never stayed. Like the, my first treatment experience was a place called Turning Point. It was a state-funded program that my uh -huh. that my probation officer told me to like go and I got kicked out of there within four days I went to this one place the other five times and like I would never stay like it was too close to home 
it was 30 minutes away. So I could, I could call someone to come and pick me up. Mm-hmm. In 2014, fentanyl, like real powder straight from China. So you were buying straight, straight fentanyl? Uncut. Okay. These two people that I knew, one of them from elementary school, they started, you know, they would get Bitcoins, right? $1,000 of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. something like that. They would send it on the dark web to someone in China. They would get 10 grams of pure uncut fentanyl. It was fentanyl hydrochloride mm-hmm. sent to us. Did you buy drugs on the dark web too? No, but I bought it from them. You bought it from them who bought it on the dark web. That's yeah. so crazy. And like they were making mad money. How would you do it? Smoke it. You couldn't do it any other way. You could not do that any other way. And I'm talking about so pure that the first time I ever smoked fentanyl, I overdosed. Like yeah. I fell I, I fell out. Yeah. Like I woke up in the bathtub with the shower on me. How much of it do you smoke? If they sell heroin by the point two, what would you be doing? Like point zero ones? Let me tell you this much. Like um back when I was hurting, like withdrawing really bad, mm-hmm. if I gave my dealer twenty dollars for three hits, I'd be I'd be well for twenty four hours. So I'm talking about so like it was my twenty sixth birthday. Mm-hmm. Right. I bought some fentanyl. It's my birthday. I had my boys over. They never done fentanyl before. What and a great like, way to celebrate your yeah, birthday. Great. Yeah, you know, we were supposed to go out to dinner. <laughs> and <laughs> but we were gonna high first, you know. Um, so I'm trying to explain to him, I was like, guys, this isn't pills. This isn't heroin. Like with heroin and pills, you hit it and you hold that bitch in and then you blow out. Yeah, yeah. With fentanyl, you small hits. Really? That's how you smoke fentanyl? Yeah. Because you hold that shit in, you're done. You're done. <laughs> you're done. I don't know why that makes me laugh. But so I bought. It's just crazy to me, <laughs> bro. So, so I bought a ten. You, can, you can't hold the hit in because no, you'll die. You will die. And I'm gonna tell you what happened. Check this out. I, I bought a tenth of a gram, right? A point of fentanyl, hundred and fifty dollars. hundred and fifty dollars. Hundred and fifty dollars for a point one. They were buying grams for a hundred dollars a piece and selling it out for hundred and fifty bucks a point. Making fifteen hundred dollars off each, so fourteen hundred dollars profit off, off each. the dark web. Wow! They would they would buy ten grams for a thousand dollars and then sell each gram for fifteen hundred dollars. I'm explaining to them small hits that big. Uh huh. We're not doing trails. We're not you know whatever small hits. <sighs> so I hit mine. I pass it on. I'm talking to one of my other friends. Right. I get back the fat. I I get it back. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where did it all go? I was like, I told you guys small hits. And I turn around to A train. Bow done. Fell out. He's like, all right, cool. So I turn around and I go to pick up A-Train's arms so he can grab the legs. And then I turn back around, sang's out. Fell out. Overdosing. My, you guys didn't have Narcan? Listen. So me and my boy Ryan are like, yo, let's go pick him up and put him in the bathtub. So we pick up A-Train and we actually dropped him into the TV. I'm like, fuck, dude, he's out. He's turning purple way faster than saying I had liquid Narcan. Oh, you really did? I had lit. So I pulled, I grabbed a needle, 90 cc's. Just like in Pulp Fiction? Yep. 90 cc's of liquid Narcan and I fucking hit him with it. Like I only had to call 911 once and I had to drop Sang off at the hospital one time. Other than that, and like I was. So how do you drop him off? Like in a polite way? Yeah, we just bring, like, like pull up to the thing running. Hey, I got a kid overdosing. Can you come out and grab him? Okay. They come out and grab him. But like California ended up passing, um, I forget what the bill. But it's basically like if you call someone overdose and they can't arrest you. Yeah. Yeah. The Good Samaritan Law. Yeah. One of my ex from high school, Lisa, she she passed away from a from a drug overdose. Um, my boy Ziggy, 2011. Uh, I don't know what the fuck he was on, but he decided. I don't know if he just wanted money or what it was, the lifestyle. The, I don't know if he was on drugs. I don't know. 
but you know, he decided to rob a prostitute, got into a gunfight with the pimp, and he got hit, and he died by himself. That was like my guy, like back in like you know, like he didn't care about my drug use. Like he still wanted to hang out with me. Like it didn't matter to him. And like I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. All my friends left me as soon as they knew I was like doing like like hardcore, like not drinking and smoking, but like but like real mm-hmm. drugs. So then, what what scenario led you to get clean? I burnt all my bridges. Mm-hmm. Right, like I was pretty much homeless. Or if I couldn't find a couch to sleep on or a car to sleep in, like I'd s- sleep on a bench outside, which is weird because that's right around where I found crack. We used to do these things called blast offs, where you dip the crack into the fentanyl gel and then you smoke it. You dip the crack into the fentanyl gel and mm-hmm. you smoke it out of a crack pipe. Yep. You know what I never did is a hot rail. Oh, I loved hot rails. You did hot rails. Oh yeah. It's better than snorting them. I wasn't. A big snorter. I didn't like. You didn't like snorting them, no. huh? Just doing a hot rail to me was just cool because like you would snort powder and yeah. blow out smoke and like yeah. to me like that was that was. <laughs> so wait, you would dip crack in fentanyl gel from the patch and mm-hmm. smoke it? Yep. I guess it's like a speedball. Yeah, I did hippie flip one time. That was intense. What's a hippie flip? Like when you do shrooms and ecstasy at the same time. Shrooms and ecstasy. That was intense. That was the last time I ever did shrooms. Shrooms and ecstasy. Bad, bad trip. Yeah, the last time I did uh, acid, I got tasered by the cops. Jesus Christ. <laughs> With my pants down. <laughs> as soon as I took the acid, it started to hit me so hard. It was so weird because normally acid takes like 30, 40 minutes. I am tripping balls. And this kid, Kevin, has a bag of, of joints, pre-rolled joints. He hands me one and lights it up and hands it to me. And he gets up and leaves. And I don't smoke weed at this point. Like, since eighth grade, I stopped smoking weed because I would get too paranoid. Yeah. And for some reason, I smoked the, the joint. And then I was like, that was the worst thing I could have done. I just instantly felt like I was going inside out. Like I didn't know where I was. I couldn't understand why we were at this fucking concert. And I remember I was freaking out. And I told this girl, Chelsea Rickman, shout out Chelsea Rickman. I was like, I was like, yo, I'm not okay. And she's like, Brian, we feel the same way you feel. I'm like, no, I'm different. Like something is wrong. Like I need to go somewhere. I'm like, I got to go. People are like, Brian, sit down. You're totally okay. I was like, no, I'm freaking out. I got to go. And I remember like I pushed somebody. I like grabbed somebody and like I was just, I thought like I could do whatever I wanted. And then I black out and I'm in an office and I'm handcuffed. And I think that I got abducted by aliens. And I remember the cop is like, dude, tell me where your friends are or you're going to jail. And I'm like, fuck you, spitting on him, motherfucker. You're not even real. And I end up blackout again, and now I'm outside, and I start running, handcuffed. And I'm wearing, like, board shorts with, like, no underwear, and, like, I don't know where my shoes are or anything. <laughs> and my, my board shorts are, like, slipping, and I start to trip, and then I feel this, like, immense pain. And I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, oh, my God, you have to go to hell to get to heaven. Like, I need to feel this pain to get to heaven. And I black out again. And I remember, like, this thought of, like, gravel in my mouth. Like, I just remember gravel being, like, hit in my face. And I'm walking back to the parking lot, and my friend Christian is like, bro, stop, like, fucking around. You just got tased by the cops. Like, just chill out. And I was like, oh, my God, I got tased. So in the car, I tried to jump out the car, and my brother is, like, grabbing me by my belt, like, get the fuck in the car. Like, my poor brother, like, he's older than me, just like my, I'm off the chain. Uh. And then when I wake up in the morning, I go and eat cereal, have zero recollection of it. Like, nothing happened. I thought, like, I didn't do anything yesterday. Like, I literally, yeah, I don't know if you've ever done Xanax, but it was like, 
I felt like I did a Xanax and like the whole day was erased. Like I didn't remember anything. And then when I was eating cereal, I looked at my wrist and my wrists were all cut. Like I know that's from handcuffs. And I was like, oh my God, was I in handcuffs yesterday? And then I was like, what happened yesterday? And I look at my phone and everybody's like, you're an idiot, you fucking retard. Jimmy's never gonna talk to you ever again. You spit in his face, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, what the fuck? And then for years, when I would go to house parties or anywhere, there'd always be that one kid who would be like, dude, you're that kid who got tasered <laughs> at the fucking 311 concert with your fucking pants to your ankles and your dick out. Like, thanks for bringing that up, you know? Yo, hallucinogenics are so weird because, like, I kind of had not the same experience, <laughs> but, like, a similar type of experience. For years, people would bring it up. You're that kid from that concert. So how do you get clean? In the beginning... I just wanted to stop going to jail and stop being homeless. Mm -hmm. That's literally what it was for me. Because now you were like homeless, homeless, or like I didn't have a place to live for a couple of days, homeless. For about three, four months, I didn't have anywhere to live. Three, four months, you're on the street of so, San Francisco. No, back home. So and like at this point, like all the cops know who the fuck I am. Like I was at a point where like I was getting raided once a month. So like the cops know who, who the fuck I am. You know, mm -hmm. I would go to the casino because there's a casino in my town. I'd stay in there until I got kicked out. And then at 3 a.m., it was always around, around 3, I would try to go find somewhere to sleep. And if I couldn't sneak into my dad's garage or I couldn't sneak into one of my friend's cars, I'd find a bench and mm -hmm. I'd sleep. Prior to this, my mom put on the garbage company that I worked there. So Your parents own a garbage company. Yeah. So I ended up getting insurance. Mm -hmm. And my mom calls a place that's no longer around. Kind of sets me up, right? Like, I don't know any... Uh, Gets you into treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, listen, we found this place. Mm -hmm. It's in Miami, right? This is June 2016. It's in Miami. Do you want to go? And, like, at this point, it's like, they're like, you, you have to go do over 60 days, though. Like, mm -hmm. you, you need, like, a long-term program. Like, not... The 30-day shit's not fucking working. Because, yo, for a very long time, they didn't know that I was using. If you looked at me, you knew that I was using. Yeah. But, like, they didn't have, like, the 100% thing. Yeah, it's so funny. Because, like, parents are in such denial yeah. that, like, they really need a drug test. And then you can even tell them that, like, dude, the drug test is wrong. Duh, duh, duh. Like, yeah. like, there were so many times where I'm like, dude, why do my parents just put me in a treatment center? But, like, when you're a parent, you just don't want to know that, like, you just think that they're going to come out of it. Like, and then when you confront an addict, they're so aggressive and crazy that, like, you don't want to confront them. Yeah. And we really, like, you know, terrorize our family to them being scared to even talking to us about it. Because yep. every time someone would talk to me about my drug problem, I would be like, what the fuck? I don't have a fucking drug problem. Da, 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 da. And then gaslight them to make them feel crazy, you know? It got to the point to where, like, if I went around my mom's house and she knew I was around there, she'd call the cops. I got, it's not Baker Act out there, but it's 5150 out yeah. there because of it. Yeah, they didn't find out a drug test. They found out because I pretty much killed, technically, I killed, he's, you know, he came back in the ambulance, but technically I killed my brother-in-law. So your brother-in-law, you got him to do fentanyl or he was already doing it? No, he kind of was asking about like Norcos and shit. And I was like, listen, I don't have that. I have this. Do you want to <laughs> do this? And he's like, all right, sure. And then and like- he smoked it? He smoked it and he fell out and I'm giving him CPR, dude. I'm sweating balls, right? You really have done a lot of CPR. Yeah, giving him CPR, trying to get him to, to fucking Were come back. Were you ever CPR certified during yeah. your using? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, certified now. The cops ended up showing up because there was a noise complaint. So like they're like, yo, get out. I was like, yo, he's fucking dying. Call. Oh, they never called an ambulance. Call, call an ambulance. Yeah. 
the cops did. So like I get out, this was in an RV, by the way, in the back of my dad's house where I was fucking living in at this point. I get out the RV. I start walking away and they're like, yo, stop. I was like, dude, good Samaritan law. Can't even ask me who the fuck I am. They're like, Ryan, we know it's you. It ended up being a cop who was a neighbor of mine. He's like, sit the fuck down. He's like, we didn't come here for a good Samaritan law. We came here because of a noise complaint. My sister ended up calling my stepdad. My stepdad knows the cops, had them arrest me and my sister, and we go to jail. But that's how they found out that I was back on drugs. Technically, I never stopped, but... Because you killed your He died in the ambulance. They brought him back, but yeah. So then they were like, treatment's a good idea? They came at me. I was still in like that state of mind where it's like, oh, you think I'm a drug addict? Let me show you how bad of a drug addict I'm really going to be now. Mm -hmm. Why do we do that? (laughs) I don't fucking know, man. We're just warped in the head, especially at that point. So my mom's like, listen, there's this place in Florida. Do you want to go? And my mind state was like, yo, I'm fucking homeless. I can't get high no more. Mm-hmm. Finding fentanyl is way too hard because one of the drug dealers ended up going to fucking jail. So can't find him. My heroin connect went to jail. I was like, fuck it. I was like, yo, Miami, summertime. Let's go. I come down here, right? Mm-hmm. I do my 78 days in treatment. Okay. I don't want to stop though. And I use the excuse of me having 50 grand in warrants back home. So I go back home. I tell everyone, don't worry, I'm coming back. I'm going to do halfway, you know, blah, blah, whatever. I get high as soon as I, 12 hours after me being off the plane. I get my court shit done. Like I finally see my judge and I show, yo, I just did 70 days in treatment. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to go back to Florida, da, 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 da. She was like, all right, that's fine. If I ever see you on any docket in the state of California again, you're getting max time and you're going to fucking prison. I'm tired of seeing you in my fucking courtroom. I was like, whatever, I'm out. So we pull up to San Francisco airport, international, SFO. I duck down, take one last hit of meth, grab my grandma, black tar, heroin, shove in it in a, my ass. In a taxi? You're no, my friend Brooklyn drove me. And you're smoking meth in the car with well, her? Well, she gets high too. Okay, okay. So grab the grandma heroin, shove it in my ass. Like in between your cheeks or in your ass? Not in my ass, never in my ass, in between my cheeks. Okay. Not, you gotta you gotta this Not in that. the butthole. You cheeked it. Cheeked it. Okay, you put it in your butt cheeks. Yeah. I get on the airplane, right? I'm smoking heroin in the bathroom. Wait, okay, so how much grams of heroin do you put in your butt cheeks? Just one. One gram of heroin? Anytime I got pulled over, they, I'd do it. W- were they doing the thing where you where they do the I thing? I was scared shitless. Wait, wait. <laughs> uh, they had the machine where you have to stand like that and they the thing swirls around. Wow, and they didn't find it? I got tinfoil in my pack of cigarettes. I got a straw in my backpack, and I got a gram of black tar in my butt cheeks. And they didn't find it? Nope. Wow. So that's the trick. Then I smoke heroin on in the bathroom. Every time feet I do that, I wonder how I would get drugs through that. You know what? I don't know why. From what I hear now is that it's not even for drugs. It's for, like, metal and fucking things, uh, like, other things. Yeah, but if you're wearing a necklace under your shirt, they can see it. If you have, like, a scrunched up thing, huh. it's kind of hard to bring it through there, but... All right, keep going. I get the FLL. You know, I'm not done yet, right? I still have, you know, I only smoked like a point in the bathroom, mm-hmm. which almost got caught. And suitors like, were you just smoking? No, whatever. In the airplane bathroom. Yeah. I'm running the bathroom to bathroom, smoking heroin. In and the I, airport? In the airport. Okay. What got me to stop was I was in a stall, and all of a sudden I hear the door open and then a jingle of keys. It was the sheriff. <laughs> and I was like, yo, fuck this. I'm out, dude. So I go get picked up. Um, I got a half gram left, right? I fucking cheek it again, get in the car, go to the facility. Well, I hid that bitch as far up there as I could without actually going in my, in my asshole. And they didn't find it. So after I get dressed, I go back into the bathroom mm-hmm. and I take it out. Yo, I looked in the mirror uh-huh. and something just came over me. I was like, I don't want to fucking do this shit no more. 
this isn't what I was 28. I was like, this isn't, I don't want to live like this no more. And I flushed it. I flushed a half gram of heroin. And that was the last time. That day was the last day I ever used. How long have you been clean now? And that was September 13th, 2016. So I have a little over five and a half years. Congrats. That's awesome. How has your, what was your first year clean like? What do you think was the difference between you staying clean and other people not? I can't really lie. So besides step work, I dove deep into a 12-step based program. Mm -hmm. You know, my first eight and a half months clean, I was doing 12 meetings a week. As soon as I had three months clean, I started paneling for H&I. As soon as the day I had six months clean, I got an H&I commitment. For people that don't know, H&I is when you volunteered and bring in a meeting to a facility and you have to get a speaker. And no. I had two home groups. I had uh, no reservations and double trouble. Mm -hmm. I got a sponsor, man. And like, I got the sponsor that was the best for me because I didn't know how the fuck to live. I literally did anything that he told me to fucking do. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that what it was, was yes, doing all that stuff, finding like a real, like someone who worked at the treatment center that I went to straight up told me, don't hang out with the kids in halfway, hang out with the kids with multiple years clean. And that's what I did. I found people with 90 days, when I had 90 days clean that had a year, had two years, had three years. And like, that's who I went towards. Mm -hmm. People that could actually stay clean. Like I didn't hang out with people with less, less clean. I didn't hang out with people less than a year. And I finally got to the point where I just, I didn't want to use, I finally got to that point where I would do anything it took for me to never use ever again. Six months clean, dude. We had um, the spiritual retreat. Oh, that's so dope, right? My sponsor was like, listen, you got to do what my sponsor made me do. Your first year there, you got to get a tent. You, you, you got to sleep in the tent. <laughs> Is that what he said? That's what he said. Are talking about Drew? Yes. <laughs> I don't think I ever said that, and I don't think he's ever stayed in a tent. Did he stay in a tent I don't. Year? Probably not, but I did. I stayed in a tent for like three years. I didn't even have I didn't even have a concept of like getting a hotel room. I didn't even think to do that. I feel like that, that would ruin it because so much shit happens all day and all no, night. No, dude. Now that I have money— I'm definitely getting a hotel room, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it gets a little warm out there. It is horrible, dude. Camping with 100-degree weather. Yeah. I can't sleep unless it's, like, really cold. Now, looking back, I was like, that was crazy. But, like, at, at the time when I would go to the spiritual retreat, I was just so grateful to be there. I just thought it was the coolest thing in the whole—I still do. I think it's, like, the coolest thing ever. Yeah. I've never missed a year. No matter what was going on in my life, dude, I was at the spiritual retreat. It was you amazing. Just, it's so— Amazing, dude. That and like Gikna, dude, is like one of the main reasons why I like I, I really stayed clean. Yeah, the conventions, the camaraderie, the fellowship. There's, there's fucking nothing like it. Yeah, you're just laughing and fucking around the whole time. It's just like such a good. It just feels like home. It just feels like a family reunion. That's what really saved me the most was like the fellowship because like I finally had people who accepted who Ryan really was, mm -hmm. and I finally had people who were like me. You know, I was a black sheep back home, but here I found the rest of the herd and like I could, I could be Ryan for the first time in my life ever. Mm -hmm. That's really what kept me clean for my first year. But I mean, like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I didn't really think about using, like my first year clean was fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. Like, yo, I was in halfway till I had like 14 and a half months clean, but like halfway back then was just so much fun. <laughs> and like, I wasn't. I didn't complain about anything. Like, I just, I, I lived in the moment for that first year clean because I had yeah. no responsibilities but to stay clean. Yeah, it feels so, that and first year clean is just, it's it's like the college I never went to, <laughs> you know? It really was. And like, like even when I got clean, I was at my parents' house. Like, dude, I was going to ha everyone's halfway house. I would wake up in the morning and rush over there because yeah. I didn't want to miss anything. Dude, people would be fucking 
playing dominoes, playing spades, fucking around. People be like reading the Just for Today in the morning and like we go to the beach and hang out all night and go to the meeting and talk shit. And You know, I think that that's, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people, a lot of new kids and shit aren't staying clean mm-hmm. is because they don't take their first year for what it's supposed to be. They want to rush out of halfway. They want to rush into like a crazy a ass job. They want to get an apartment, fucking, get yeah, a car. It's like, yo, that was, chill, That was man. going on back then, though. Yeah. That always goes on. That doesn't go away. Yeah, I guess. Everybody I don't, does Everyone that. that I was friends with did all that, though. You know what I'm saying? So like, I just feel like, man, if your first year clean is really fucking fucked up and dirty and grungy and fucking shitty and you're living paycheck to paycheck and in debt and fucking... If your first year clean is fucked, do the rest of it's going to be so good. But if your first year clean is fucking shiny and fucking cute and you got like a dope car and you have like a hot girlfriend and a high paying job, probably not going to make it. Dude, if I had a high paying (laughs) job, my first year clean, there's no fucking way. Bro, my first five years clean, you know, but it's because it's like recovery was such a priority, bro. I didn't, my job was like fucking cigarette money. Yeah. Like that's all my job was. My job was like cigarette money and gas money. That's all it was to me. I didn't give a fuck about my job. Yeah. And yeah, I was young, but at the same time, it's like, bro, I, I cared about my recovery so much. I chose not to go to college because I wanted to go to my home group. I saw all these kids making money in phone rooms. And I knew deep down, like, dude, I would fucking fuck my life up if I was making a thousand bucks a week. Because I just knew, like, dude, I need to go slow. Like, I need to fucking, I've gone fast my whole life. My whole life, all I did was go fast. And, and all you fucking, do is crash and burn. And fucking start over, do the whole shit all over again, you know? I was just obsessed with building it up and tearing it down and building it up and tearing it down, where at one point I was like, dude, I got to stop tearing it down and build it up slower. I don't know, dude. I saw a lot of people I get clean with do that same thing all over again. Yeah. Get clean, get the phone room sales job in South Florida, fucking go lease a car, go get like some bullshit girlfriend and then fucking nine months clean they fucking get high mm-hmm. they hold it together for a little bit they might even pick up a medallion high and then they do it all over again yeah and they lose it all and then they fucking get clean and they say i'm gonna stay in halfway for a year i'm gonna do it this time and then after two months they're like dude i can't do this halfway bullshit and then they fucking get some fucking girl halfway was so much fun for me i don't know maybe it's just yeah cause... maybe it's not fun for anybody but whether it's fun or not you got to do it you I, know oh 100 i wanted to leave halfway drew was like no Mm-hmm. I think everyone should do halfway for like a year, at least nine months. I tell my guys nine months, and then I trick them to do a year. I'm like, oh, you already had nine months. You might as well just do a year. I think you it's, know? it's very important because I, you need to at least get that year clean. Dude, I don't know what I would do if like left to my own devices by myself. I wanted to go to halfway so bad. I went back to halfway with two years clean. Yeah, you needed it. <laughs> <laughs> so what else has gone on in your life since you've been clean? How's your family relationship changed? Fucking amazing. I'm going to Mexico with my whole entire family at third week of April. That's cool. I get to go home now, and my stepdad lets me stay at the house Mm -hmm. instead of making me get a hotel room like he did the first time I went home. Wow, the first time you went home. How long did you have clean? A year. You had a year clean. I, I, I was not allowed to leave the state of Florida until I had a year clean. And your family said, hey, we know you have a year, but you're not staying here? Correct. That's awesome. That's I mean, so dude, cool. I robbed them blind. Yeah. Like, yo, I took everything from them. So it wasn't until I had two, 18 months. No, actually, 18 months when I went home for my sister's wedding, still had to stay in a hotel room. It wasn't until I had two years clean that I was allowed to stay at my house. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. It's because it's like, when I remember when I had like a couple months clean, I was complaining about like my dad. and my, Oh, my dad doesn't even talk to me or he hates me or whatever. 
And I'll do this guy, Steve, was smoking a cigarette outside, and he was like, bro, my parents haven't talked to me in three years. And he had three years clean. And that's when I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, maybe I should be grateful. And it's like in recovery, like, we learn to be in the solution and not be a victim, you know? Because a lot of people have this misinterpretation that, like, 12-step program is like a victim type of, like, poor me pity party. But it's it's really the opposite. Yeah. It's about like, nah, motherfucker, let's take accountability for what you fucking have been doing the past couple of years clean. And just because you've been clean for a couple of months doesn't mean that everyone's going to fucking be happy with your ass. Exactly. And people got to recover from what you did to them. Just because you're good now doesn't mean that they are. You were fucking high. Doesn't mean high. That they even believe you. Yeah, 1,000%. They probably don't. And they probably shouldn't. You know, I used to be so mad about that. Like, they don't believe that I'm clean. I wasn't. See, that, that's the thing is that I wasn't mad that I had to stay in a hotel room. I understood. That's cool. Like, I fucked you guys up. Yeah. I get it. But, like, now it's, it's not. Yo, and, like, another thing, too, is, like, going home, I never went home without at least one person because I didn't trust myself till I had, like, three years clean. Three years That's clean, cool. I think Christmas was the first time I went home by myself. So you wouldn't even go home unless someone was helping chaperone. Correct. That's cool. You know, you got to do whatever you need for your recovery and yeah. be honest with yourself. And, like, bro, there's no shame in asking for help. Like, if you really think that this situation is going to be difficult for you, you got to ask yourself and have some self-honesty to be like, yo, I don't want to go. I had a trip booked for me to go to California when I had a few months clean. And I didn't have the balls to say, I don't think I should go because I think I'm going to get high. And I snuck in contraband into treatment and got prolonged to stay there longer. And I did that like on purpose to stay because I was scared that if I got on a plane and went somewhere that I would want to use. I was embarrassed to say I would get high. Like to me, wanting to use after being clean for a while was like, like, dude, my parents didn't want to hear that shit. Like I was scared that somebody was going to say like, like, what's the fuck's the matter with you? Yeah. You know, the most important thing for me that has happened to me in the five and a half years is I've actually figured out who I really am because I wasn't me for such a long time that Mm -hmm. I forgot who I really was. And like, I think that's one of the reasons why I know why I'm still clean today is because I figured out who I really am. And like, that's why I, I protect it like anything else. And, like, that's why I never went home without somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, my first time I went home, I went with Jeff, Amber, Dan, Stacy, and Ange. I went home with five people. Wow, that's cool. Because yeah, I, needed, love. I needed people there. Because I knew what would happen. All it would take was one phone call from one person. Mm-hmm. Like, if my ex hit me up, that's a wrap. She's still using. Yeah, and a lot of times it's easy to say no to the pizza when you're not at a pizza party. You know what I mean? So it's like a lot of times people are like, I don't even feel like using yeah, bro, because you're here talking to my ass. And if you're and, out there and someone yeah, off. It's like, what happens when you're alone? No one's around. No one's around. No one, you'll think no one will ever know that you did. No one's going to know. Now you're in a different environment. You know, I want to eat healthy while I'm at the gym. What do I do on my way home on 9 o'clock at night and I'm getting hungry, you know? And fucking I could order something, you know? So it's like, you know, your environment changes your state of mind. And it's foolish to make a decision in this state of mind depending on how I'm going to feel in another state, yeah. in a different environment. A lot of times we underestimate how strong it really is because we've been in a safe environment. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, when I came out here, I changed my whole environment. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm in Florida, like, besides my friends from back home in California, I am not friends with anybody that's not in recovery. Mm-hmm. I don't hang out with one person that's not in recovery anymore. When I go back home, it's different, but, like, I'm fine. They know who the fuck I am, too. It's like, yeah. they they guard me. Yeah. You know, all my boys are, like, normal back home. Like, yeah. they drink, they smoke weed and shit, but, like, they don't even... Yeah. I remember this one time I was at a, at a nightclub with my business partner. And, bro, my business partner is, like, super... He fucks with me. Like, he's not intimate. Like, he's not, like, nice and cuddly at yeah. all. 
And I remember this one time we were at some club or whatever, and uh, this girl was, like, asking me if I wanted to drink. And he's like, yo, he doesn't drink. And then she's like, oh, come on, da 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 He's like, yo, he doesn't drink. And she asked again. He's like, yo, he doesn't fucking drink. Get the fuck away from here. Yeah. And it was so funny because, like, he was like, are you okay? Like, you know, I have people in my life that aren't addicts, but they understand, like, this shit is serious to me. Yeah. And it's a difference between having, fr- like, I have, I had someone the other day who was like, oh, yeah, me and my girl were dating for a while, and she wasn't an addict. And then I just said I wanted to drink, and she was like, okay. It's like, bro, what type of people are you hanging out with? Yeah. It's just real cool that, like, my recovery has affected others who aren't even addicts. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to go home and go to my boy's wedding and stuff. And, like, like that's what's really cool. It's because, like, yo, I alienated all my friends back home. Mm-hmm. And, like, now I'm getting invited to weddings back home and stuff. And, like, you know, it's just real cool. Hey, well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Ryan C., I love you very much. Love you, too. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 833-999-1877 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.